Hello, welcome to the Theology Etc. podcast. This is Forrest Animaceris. I'm very glad you're tuning in with us today for this episode of the podcast. I want to start out by giving a special thank you to all those who've been interacting with the podcast on Facebook, on Twitter, whether you've entered our giveaways or uh, gave us some feedback on some possible episode ideas. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for the uh, community that we're starting to kind of build around the podcast, and I'm glad for your input and uh, for your friendship, ultimately. Today, I'd like to talk about something that I think a lot of people have tried to talk about. There's a lot of statistics out there. There's a lot of research going into this, and that's the idea of reaching millennials. And I know some people are even upset or maybe uh, offended by the idea that millennials are a group that is just viewed as how can we reach them? Um, but I think it's a good question because millennials, you know, the generation that I belong in, are kind of turning their backs on Christianity, uh, a, uh, you know, at a rate quicker than some of the generations before us. And I think there's a couple of different reasons for that, but there's also a lot of statistical data that we can look at that goes into uh, how we can address this problem, or really just this question of, um, you know, what do millennials think about the church? How can we change that? How can we uh, live out Christianity in a way that maybe is more appealing to them, is more inviting to them, without compromising sound doctrine. And that's something that we're going to talk about today and uh, uh, something that I'm excited to talk about, uh, something that I think needs to be talked about. So that's exactly what we're going to do. But I want to start out by looking at some statistics, and I'll drop a link for these statistics if you find uh, this episode at theologyetc.org. I'll link some uh, pages to some of these statistics as well as a couple of books that I think are helpful. So there was this... uh, research conducted by um, uh, the Barna uh, Research Group, which if you're not familiar with them, check them out. They do a lot of really cool research that I think can help us uh, in our approach and see how different groups of people view Christianity, why they're not members of a church or anything uh, like that. Uh, But they did this massive study on millennials, people uh, born within the certain time restraints um, that make you, you know, a member of the millennial generation. Which, depending on you ask, is depending on who you ask, is different things. You know, some people say mid '80s to mid to late '90s, uh, somewhere in that time frame. You're technically considered a millennial, right? You're uh, born and grew up within this uh, around this time of the turn of the millennium, um, into the 2000s, uh, going forward, and of course, is you know generations after the millennials now. Um, but as far as millennials go, there's all this research that's been done, and I think it's interesting when we look at this. And we realize, you know, uh, most of the church now is comprised probably of baby boomers, uh, maybe, uh, you know, with some Generation X. Um, But millennials are the future, not only of America, but of the population, but also of the church. You know, they comprise the church now. uh, But one day, millennials will be the majority of individuals in America. Millennials will be majority of individuals in the church. So... Uh, It's good we can learn from the statistics, I think, to hopefully uh, reach more of them. And unfortunately, um, you know, millennials kind of have this weird, bad reputation. And there's people in older generations that for whatever, like, kind of unexplicable reason are mad at millennials, just almost inherently. Um, Like, people get offended at terms like avocado toast, avocado toast, and, uh, you know, fidget spinners, millennials, they dress dumb, they do all these dancing challenges, um, and a lot of that is really unfair. And I think, especially for Christians, both millennials and older Christians should be careful to bash a whole generation of people. 
you know, whether it's on social media or whatever, because that certainly isn't helping. But I want to share some of these statistics with you. And again, I'll drop a link, uh, but just listen to what they say. So the Barner Group, they did this uh, research. Um, so with individuals who say uh, attending a church is not at all important, uh, millennials there, um, 30% of millennials say attending a church is not at all important. Around 30% say attending a church is very important and 40% uh, fall somewhere in between. So of these individuals, um, it says that 39% of individuals who say attending a church isn't that important. It says they find God elsewhere. That's, that's why they explain that. 35% say that church is not relevant to me. 31% of millennials in this study who say that church isn't important say that church is boring. 20% say it feels like God is missing from church. 8% say church feels out of date. And 4% says I don't like the people. Okay, so those are the individuals who say church isn't that important or somewhere in between. And then from the people who say that attending church is very important or somewhat important in that area, um, they ask them why or how they feel about church. 44% of these individuals uh, say they go to church to be closer to God. 27% of these individuals say I learn about God there at church. 22% say the Bible says to go. 13% say my kids learn about God there. But then notice this. Uh, this is interesting. Um, 8% say the church does good work in the world, which to me was, was interesting, and we'll talk about this later, but 8% of millennials in this study who go to church regularly, only 8% of them uh, say that part of why they go is because the church does good work in the world. And then 5% of these individuals say uh, they go to church because my friends are there. Uh, so you see there that that's uh, pretty interesting. And then the same group, um, they ask them a different uh, questions, you know, about uh, why they don't go to church, etc. 35% of these millennials, more than one third, say that their negative perceptions of church are a result of moral failures in church leadership. Uh, but going on from there, 66% of these millennials who don't go to church say that American churchgoers are hypocritical. 46% say that people at church are tolerant. Are Only 46% say that people at church are tolerant of those with different beliefs, you know, maybe it depends on how you define uh, tolerance. Especially today, you know, it's like if you disagree with something and you state disagreement, you're intolerant. I don't know. Um, 44% say the church seems too much like an exclusive club. I'm going to say that again. 44% of these non-church going millennials say that the church seems too much like an exclusive club. 65% though of millennials who go to church say church is a place to find answers to live a meaningful life. 54% say church is relevant for my life. 49% say I can be myself at church. Uh, but among the top reasons why millennials don't go to church, the first is that Christians are seen as judgmental. 87% of non-church-going non millennials believe that. 85% of them say that uh, Christians are hypocritical. Uh, and then 70% say that Christians are insensitive to others. Um, and this was a big uh, research campaign uh, that was done. Uh, so that's some of the raw data. And then they did something which I find uh, really interesting. They gave four images. One image is of somebody holding a Bible and pointing kind of judgmentally. Another image is somebody being helped up. It looks like a homeless person being helped up. 
another image is a man yelling at a megaphone. And then another image is kind of like that hyper modern worship scene that's more like a concert. Um, so these images were presented and the question was select the image that feels most like present day Christianity. And 37% of all millennials, the largest group here, chose the image of a man with a Bible pointing judgmentally. 24% chose the image of the homeless man being picked up. 16% of all millennials chose the man yelling in the megaphone. And 23% of all millennials chose like the hyper-modern uh, big concert worship scene, uh, which is pretty interesting. Uh, but it seems a majority from all faith backgrounds, both church-going and non-church-going, um, chose one of the two negative images, and that's the image of uh, the man with the Bible of pointing judgmentally. Um, and then they gave these images of select the image that feels most like what the church should be in the world. And this is to all millennials, both churched and unchurched. And the first image you have is of, it's like a multiracial group of young people studying their Bibles, and they all look happy. That's the highest. 48% of individuals, both church and unchurch, said that this is what Christianity ought to look like. I think it's interesting. 42%, that's a pretty high percent, of unchurched individuals said that's what Christianity should look like in the world. And then you've got this picture of like somebody lifting weights. So, oh, so somebody helping somebody lift weights, kind of like a spotter. That's 7%. That's the lowest. People say that's what Christianity should look like. 12% shows the image of doctors uh, and a preacher visiting somebody in the hospital. And then 33%, the second highest, uh, sh uh, chose a picture of, it's like a rose bush being watered, uh, you know, kind of symbolic of growth and, um, you know, getting what's required for growth, maybe spiritual growth there. But I think it's interesting, the largest portion of millennials in the study of what Christianity or what the church should be in the world chose this picture of this multiracial, really Bible study, um, which uh, is interesting for a number of reasons. But I think that that's important. Um, and really some of the conclusions of, uh, of this survey, I think, are, are very interesting. And there's a couple of things that seem to really bother millennials based off this data. One is what they view kind of as a facade in Christianity, a facade that Christians put up, kind of this hypocritical, not real, I've got my Sunday and Wednesday face, um, and then I'm somebody else the rest of the time. And that's something, obviously, we all need to avoid, uh, but that's something I think millennials can kind of see through, maybe better than some other generations, maybe just because they're young, um, whatever the reason may be, uh, that's something, kind of the, the hypocrisy, the um, judgmental attitude, stuff like that, is something that, um, that bothers them especially. When I think about before I was a Christian, looking at the church, those were some things that bothered me too. Uh, kind of the hypocrisy, kind of this idea that they were going to be judgmental. But a lot of that was just me assuming that. That wasn't based off of an actual experience. Now, certainly some people probably have an actual experience with hypocrisy and a judgmental attitude. I'm not trying to discredit that at all. But I think uh, sometimes if we can be, as a church, an inviting place where that stigma or maybe that preconception can be shattered, we should be. We should do everything we can to reach out to these people, these people who feel this way, this large chunk of the American population, the generation that's going to be the majority um, somewhat soon. Um, so I'm going to, based off this data, I'm going to go over a couple things I thought of. 
obviously I do not have the answers. I haven't studied this more than uh, a week. This isn't something um, that I have like a degree in or anything like that. So I'm going to open this up. I'm going to give some things I thought of, both from personal experience, from some of the data, from uh, what the Bible has to say. But if you have something to add to this conversation, feel free, email me at forestedtheologyetc.org. Comment on the Facebook post when you see it. Comment on the Twitter post when you see it. Um, something. Reach out to me somehow. Become a part of this conversation because I think it's something that we need to talk about. How do we reach my generation? How do we reach millennials? Uh, a lot of people are freaking out about it. I don't think it's something to freak out about, but I do think it's something that we need to be mindful of. We need to be mindful of how people perceive Christianity, how people perceive the church. And I think we need to, to fix what we can to reach as many people as we can. Which leads me to the Bible verse that I hope will kind of um, launch us off into some of these things I think we can uh, maybe do a better job at. Maybe some reminders that we can have when it comes to reaching millennials. And this is a, uh, a scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 19. And this, I was reading a book the other day, actually, and this was described in that book as Paul's philosophy of ministry. In other words, this is, this is the background of how Paul did ministry, how he did his evangelism, how he lived his life. This was kind of the crux of his goals uh, as an evangelist. And it's awesome. First Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 19. And Paul uh, there writes, by inspiration, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, he says, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Um, so there you have it, kind of Paul's philosophy of ministry, as one person put it. But what is he saying? To those who are Jews, to those under the law, he lived as one under the law so that he could better evangelize. Now, it doesn't mean he violated the New Testament. It doesn't mean he went outside of the bounds of what God says, but he was willing to go along with them. He was willing to speak their language. He was willing to participate in their customs. He was willing to even uh, circumcise Timothy, who he brought along with him, who was half Jewish, to appease and hopefully win more of uh, Jewish non-believers. Uh, so you see there that that's his philosophy of ministry. That's what he did. Those were with the Jews, with those outside the law, to the Gentiles. He became as those outside the law. He wasn't going to bind things like circumcision, etc. He was going to uh, maybe you know, eat meat sacrificed to idols if it was bought in the marketplace. He was willing uh, to go along with them in some of this customary stuff, to speak their language, to talk to them how they talked, etc. Uh, to those who were weak, to those who didn't have much knowledge, to those who didn't have strength, he wasn't going to overpower them or domineer them. He says he became all things to all people. Why? What was the motivation behind that? That by all means, I might save some. He knew he wasn't going to save everybody. But he's willing to go through whatever discomfort. He was willing to compromise whatever cultural thing to reach somebody. And he did it for the sake of the gospel. And I hope and pray 
that we as individual Christians and as the church as a whole can do likewise. Are we being all things to all people? We should be. We should be. But are we, what, what are we being to millennials? Are we closing them off? Are we uh, making fun of them? Are we, you know, are we, are we reaching out to them at all? Are we speaking their language? Are we engaging in that culture with them? You know, the things that are not sinful, the things you can do and keep the law of Christ. Are we doing those things? Or are we only catering to a certain generation? Are we only catering to a certain race? Are we only catering to a certain cultural mindset? We need to be all things to all people. It's, you know, and that includes millennials. Um, millennial values, millennial culture is different than that of the baby boomers. Are we only catering to baby boomers? Or are we catering to baby boomers at the exclusion of millennials? I think oftentimes in many churches that might be the case. Um, and we're going to talk about a couple of different things having to do with that in a second. But this thought just came to me and think about this. Think about the difference in how Paul preached to different audiences. When he went to the synagogue and he was speaking to Jews, he was digging into the scriptures, he was showing from the Old Testament, trying to prove that Jesus was the promised uh, Messiah, the awaited king, etc., etc. He was willing to keep some of their customs. He was willing to, you know, as long as they uh, weren't sinful under the new covenant, he was willing to do a lot of things to cater to a Jewish audience to try to convince them, to try to win them. And then compare that to how he preached on Mars Hill in Acts 17. Uh, when he's on Mars Hill, the Areopagus in uh, Acts 17, there is no reference he makes to the Old Testament. Why? Because his audience didn't know about the Old Testament. What did he do? He quoted one of their poets. He used this philosophical argument of this uncaused cause. He used even their own idolatry to point back to God. He used things that were pertinent to their culture. Now, if a Jew was there or overheard that or heard that he did that, maybe they were upset. What if some Jewish Christians said, I can't believe you went and preached at the Areopagus uh, to all these Gentiles and you didn't even mention the Old Testament. How could you? But Paul understood that he wasn't trying to cater to that individual. He was trying to cater and be as effective as possible to the individuals right in front of him, uh, to the Gentiles, to the philosophers there in Athens. And I think we can do likewise. A lot of times we are scared of what somebody who might be somewhat anti-millennial, somebody who maybe binds some opinions they shouldn't bind. We're so scared of what they might say that we're not willing to speak the cultural language of millennials. And get me, get me right here. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that like we throw doctrine out the window and we forget everything. And I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not, I'm not calling for some kind of uprising or resistance or anything like that. I'm just saying, are we being as effective as we can in reaching out to this particular group of people? And that could be said about, you know, a bunch of different groups of people. But right now I'm just talking about millennials. Are we doing everything we can both as individual Christians and as the church to reach them? Are we like Paul being all things to all people so that we might win some? That's, you know, I can't answer that for everybody. Um, that's something that you have to answer uh, for yourself. Um, but there's a couple of things I think that we can maybe reimagine or rethink in context of reaching millennials, but not just millennials. I think this applies to the generations after them as well, uh, you know, because, you know, what one generation tolerates, the next generation accepts. Um, that's not original to me. I forgot who said that. Maybe Ronald Reagan. I don't know. Um, 
Uh, but, you know, I'm not trying to be a, a plagiarized whoever said that. But I think that's true in a big sense. Um, you know, kind of the cultural language of millennials is going to be similar and tweaked in the generations after them. Uh, I think this is stuff we need to think about going forward. The first thing that comes to my mind when we talk about reaching millennials, about being as inviting as possible without compromising doctrine to millennials, first thing that comes to my mind is church buildings. And I know that, uh, you know, this is kind of shaky ground for some people. But I think the church building um, in the next 50 years ought to be totally rethought. Um, the traditional church building on the inside, it looks like, you know, like a flipped uh, Noah's Ark with the wood running up the sides to the, to, the, to the kind of vaulted ceilings. You've got the big steeples. You've got kind of that traditional stuffy uh, 1950s and prior church building feel. Uh, which, you know, is fine. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. That's how the older generations perceived church buildings. But that's on its way out. That's the opposite of inviting for a lot of people. Um, and obviously, you know, building budgets usually aren't the largest. I'm not saying every church building with a steeple, we, you know, uh, raise to the ground and we rebuild a nice modern looking building. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying going forward, the next time we remodel, rebuild a building, we don't need to remodel it or rebuild it after what they looked like in the 1950s. That's unnecessary. And quite frankly, I think it might be a hindrance to some people. And some might say, well, that's their fault. They shouldn't let a building keep them from hearing the truth. Yes, that's true. But at the same time, we are out of our minds if we think that people don't care about buildings. If we expect people to sit in this place for hours every week, and we want to reach out to millennials, it's got to be, I mean, it's got to be, something going forward there's no reason i think to rebuild church buildings with steeples etc and i'm i got nothing against steeples but just that classic look um if if we can get more people in the doors by not looking like that then we should the most popular church in my hometown i'm not going to say its name but the most popular church in my hometown when you look at it you can't tell that it's a and i'm using air quotes a church or a church building you you can't tell that unless you read the sign it looks very modern. It looks very nice. Big brick. There's a, a art mural on the outside. Um, I've never been in. I've, you know, kind of looked through the doors of the foyer. Very nice. Very modern on the inside. Kind of looks like um, Chip and Joanna Gaines remodeled it. I'm not saying we need to increase our building budgets and model that, but I think they're the most popular church in my hometown. That might be part of it. That's a place people want to go. How many people aren't coming to the church you're at because of the way it looks. Now, part of that is their fault. I'm willing to admit that. But I think going forward, when we build our next buildings, when we remodel in the future, you know, remodel it under what's modern and not uh, under the standards of yesteryear, I think that helps. And that's, maybe I'm being petty, I don't know. But I think church buildings, I think, I think there's room for improvement there. Honestly, I do. And, you know, like I said, church building budgets usually aren't that high. I'm not saying... You know, we pay missionaries and preachers less to build a nice, inviting building for the millennials. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, but I think it's something to think about. Another thing I think we can think about, and this is a sticky uh, topic, but dress, the way we dress in worship. I think there are a lot of millennials who are afraid to go um, to a worship assembly in the Church of Christ because of the way that people are dressed. And I think in the church, we need to do a better job of being mindful of that. Now, some people, 
their consciences are bothered if you are dressed down uh, more than you are. But I think part of being all things to all people in the uh, space or in the context of evangelism is being as inviting as possible, as welcoming as possible, without uh, compromising doctrine. And I'm sorry, but I find no New Testament precedent for the way we dress. We, we have to admit it's cultural. But to which culture are we catering with that dress? Is it the church culture or is it the culture of the outside world? Is it the culture of uh, just a specific generation or is it the culture of all generations? It's the culture of a specific generation. Uh, now, if you're less willing to listen to what a preacher has to say, if he's not wearing a suit and tie, then that's something to think about. But I think dress uh, for people in my generation, for millennials, is a big hindrance uh, for wanting to go visit a church. I know it sounds crazy, but it's true. I remember when I was first converted, I didn't have nice clothes. I didn't have a suit and tie. I wore the nicest clothes that I had, but I felt extremely uncomfortable. Maybe that's my fault. I don't know. But I think it's something we can think about. Uh, Why do we dress the way that we do in worship? And this honestly should be a podcast topic all by itself. And uh, maybe we'll do that in the future. And I'm not trying to um, uh, make anybody mad. But I do think it's something we need to consider and reconsider. Um, I think, you know, as long as it's appropriate, um, you should be able to wear it. But what is appropriate as far as in just general guidelines, not only of culture, but of morality, you know, as long as it's appropriate, I think you should be able to wear it um, and worship and it'd be okay. And that, I think that's something going forward we need to be mindful of, especially with my generation and the generations to come. I remember one time, I'll just share this short story and I move on. <laughs> yeah. I used to work at Walgreens and um, I enjoyed it a lot, actually. But I, I, I quit because um, I was going to go, uh, you know, to, to preaching school and uh, you can't have a job and be in preaching school. You're, you're supported through that. But I, I, I quit at Walgreens. And then one day after church, I came into the Walgreens that I used to work at. And one of my em- em- employees or former employees, not employees, I was not a manager. <laughs> I was like the lowest guy on the totem pole at Walgreens. Um, not one of my employees, one of my former coworkers, I walk in and she was like, oh my goodness, what happened to you? You know, I was dressed in my, my Sunday's best. I was like, what do you mean? She was like, what, what did you get arrested for? Why are you going to court? Like what, you know, what's going on? And she thought that my, the only, the only context in which she had seen the clothes I was wearing was when somebody's going to court. She thought I was going to court, um, instead of coming back from church. Um, and the only reason I was dressed like that is because I was going to church. I just, you know, I think that's interesting. And different cultures perceive dress in different ways. I don't think that's something hard and fast that we need to bind, especially when reaching out um, to other people. Uh, a couple of uh, couple of other things, I think, that can help us be more welcoming, more inviting uh, to the millennial generation. And I think this one's obvious. And I think this one is for everybody, to reach everybody. We've got to live right. When I say live right, I mean live right biblically, even, you know, not necessarily culturally. We need to have our lives, our worship, our assemblies, everything. It needs to be genuine. Uh, you know, we can't have a facade Sunday and Wednesday and then um, go out and, and be totally different the rest of the time. We need uh, to be legit, to use uh, some some vernacular there. We, we need to, to, to really live it, to really believe it, to really put it into action. Um, to be hospitable, I think, is another big thing uh, to reach the next a couple of generations coming. 
to even if they're not a Christian, have them over, eat dinner with them, go to a movie with them, hang out with them, befriend them, and be genuine. Don't just do it, oh, I'm only your friend so I can get you to come to church. Like legitimately build some 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 strong relationships, some some purposeful and meaningful relationships with individuals, millennials and otherwise who aren't Christians. I think that's a huge thing. Um, something I, I definitely need to, to step up on. Um, but also I think we need to, uh, going forward, not bind opinions. And I think that's something for everybody. And of course, you know, the conscience is involved in some of these things, but I think there's a lot of opinions that if we bind, we're going to exclude a lot of people, uh, both, uh, people in minorities, but also people, uh, millennials and, and the generations coming after you know, there's some things, some opinions we might be binding that are just leftovers from um, generations in the past rather than, you know, a conclusion we've we've come to from the Bible. Maybe dress is one of those, maybe a couple other things. It just depends. Uh, but that's something I think we need to be mindful of. And another thing I think we need to step up um, good works-wise. And that statistic that said that 8%, you know, 8% of uh, church-going millennials recognize that the church does good works. I thought that was ridiculous. Maybe I'm, I'm misreading that statistic. That might be a possibility. Maybe that was just, um, maybe that was just, that's why they go to church. Maybe only 8% of churchgoers go to church because the church does good works. But I think, you know, I know a lot of congregations that do a lot of good works. And I know some congregations that don't do very many at all. Um, but I think it's something we either need to be reminded of and keep at the forefront of our mind, or it's something we need to improve on. That's doing good works. The church should be a place where people expect people doing good things, people active and involved in the community, people willing to help people, um, even if it means embarrassment, even if it means, you know, being uncomfortable, being willing to help, having a presence. Um, people are looking to institutions other than the church for help. People are looking to institutions other than the church to be the shining light in the world. And I think that that's something we need to reverse. I think many people, uh, politics has kind of become a religion. Um, nonprofits have stepped in, in spaces where the church used to be. And that's not bad, I think. There are a lot of good nonprofits out there. But I think the church uh, can continue to do what it's doing, but also it, it can be better um, as far as good works goes, as far as community involvement, as far as um, just being there and being uh, hospitable and, and doing things like that. I think about my home congregation in Florida, and they, um, they've got a program where they feed people every week. And like, I forgot the exact number, but it's like thousands and thousands of people since they've been doing this program, like, like almost 50,000, I want to say, I might be wrong, but they fed people through that. And every Thursday, every day of the week where they have this food program, there are people lined up and they know uh, that that church does that. And, and where the church is, is one of the m more hungrier counties in America. And it's a good work and people see that and it reflects positively on the church. And that's things like that, I think we need to do more of and maybe get a little bit more creative with. And I definitely don't have all the answers. Uh, I'm kind of just, uh, these are things I'm kind of thinking out loud. And then lastly, and something that's uh, close to my heart, I think uh, Christians need to pay more attention to apologetics uh, to help reach millennials and the generations to come. And I know that's becoming kind of a cliche answer, but it's really personal to me and it's backed up uh, by data as well. Um, and the the amount, um, and I'll, I'll post a link to this research done by the Barna Group as well, but 
the uh, this this research was called the the evolving profile of the skeptic, and it was showing how people who uh, identify as atheists and agnostic kind of like what demographics are they in, and in the year nineteen ninety three, eighteen um, percent of America's atheists and agnostics were under thirty. In two thousand thirteen, so I mean this is five years ago. It's probably gone up, honestly. But in 2013, 34% of America's atheists and agnostics were under 30, um, which is, I mean, that's almost, you know, a doubling within, uh, within uh, 20 years. So the atheists and the agnostics in our community, in our country, are getting younger. It's our generation, uh, which is comprising more and more of the atheists, the agnostics, the skeptics. And when I say we need to, you know, be better at apologetics, and I'm using air quotes, I'm not saying that we need to, you know, some people when they hear that, they think we need to be militant. And I think sometimes, you know, that might be necessary. I'm talking about like aggressive, like on street corners with megaphones. But I think rather, we just need to be willing and able to answer hard questions when they're asked, and maybe facilitate the the asking of those hard questions. Uh, You know, apologetics doesn't mean being... Um, being, uh, what's the word, antagonistic. That's not what apologetics is. Apologetics is giving a defense for the faith. And I think a lot of people have been turned off by the church because when they ask hard questions, they do not receive good answers. Um, And we need to make sure that when people are there and they're asking those difficult questions, we can at least sit down with them and study it and not avoid those difficult questions, but be prepared to answer them and uh, be equipped, as it were, uh, to know that, um, you know, know why we believe in the first place and to be able to communicate that to uh, the skeptics who are around us. Because I think uh, it's only natural, like a lot of skeptics, I think, you know, maybe certainly they have some unfair uh, assumptions and whatnot about Christianity, but by and large, um, they want to ask questions, they want to know more. Uh, and they want to hear a good defense for Christianity. Maybe they've never heard it before. That was my case. Grew up, was an atheist in high school, and part of that reason was simply because every time I asked somebody a question about defending Christianity, the answer I got was bogus. It just wasn't good. There were a lot of people who hadn't studied apologetics. There were a lot of people who maybe knew nothing about apologetics. And the answer I got a lot of times was, well, you just got to believe. Or it was, well, just this is, you know, the way it is. Just accept it. Uh, whatever. And that's just not going to cut it going forward, honestly. Um, you know, and I've heard stories 50 years ago. You didn't have to convince somebody that the Bible was inspired. Maybe that's the case. But today, that's not the case. You better know why you believe that the Bible's inspired. And you should uh, be able to to give some evidences to, to help prove that case. You should know why you believe that the God of the Bible is the, um, you know, sole uh, deity that exists and why he is as the Bible describes him and how it's possible for him to exist, how it's necessary that he does exist, all of these things. I think if we can know that for ourselves, internalize that, study that, have, you know, somewhat of a grip on that and at least provide questioners with decent answers. I think that goes a long way, personally. It went a long way for me when I uh, started visiting a church and I asked legit questions and I got legit answers. And I can't tell you how much that meant to me. 
And I think it's something that we need to be mindful of. Um, so that's pretty much, pretty much what I've got. Um, I know uh, this is uh, kind of a longer episode from the last couple, and uh, I'm hoping to have some guests on here the next couple episodes and discuss uh, more things. But uh, what do you have in mind for reaching millennials? Is this problem overstated? Do you think it's kind of the, over, the older generation is overreacting? Are there things we need to change? Are there things we can change? Can we be more effective in this area? And how can we be more effective in this area? If you have input, I'd love to hear it. Definitely do not have all the answers. I'm not the guy for this. Uh, just sharing some observations and some things I thought of. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Um, do you have input? Please share with us. Send me an email, comment on Facebook, whatever. I'd love, I'd love to hear from you um, on this topic. But I think what it boils down to for me is that, you know, based off of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9 and just the New Testament as a whole, we ought to be open to being as inviting and as welcoming for everybody as possible without compromising doctrine. And I think there's a lot you can do while remaining sound in doctrine to be inviting and to be welcoming. Uh, if you have some practical ideas for that, I'd love to hear them, share them with us. Uh, let me know. Uh, but yeah, I thank you uh, for tuning in. I thank you for following the podcast. If you haven't subscribed to our newsletter, go to the theologyetc.org, scroll to the bottom, put your email address there, and uh, subscribe. Um, also, you know, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, subscribe on uh, Apple uh, iTunes. Make sure to like us on Facebook. We got, I try to uh, keep a discussion there at least, you know, every couple of weeks or weekly, you know, to have a conversation there with you guys. And uh, we're going to be doing some more giveaways uh, too. But I thank you for following. Thank you for listening. Again, like I said, if you've got input on this, uh, hit me up. Uh, appreciate you guys and uh, keep on keeping on. God bless. Thanks.